You are listening to sermon audio from Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to know more about us, check us out online at www.cogginchurch.org. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles or your mobile device, if you would turn with me to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3, we are in the midst of our sermon series on this book, and uh, I'll just tell you, I'm enjoying it whether you are or not. I, I just love this story, and so uh, I hope that you are as well. There's so much packed into these four chapters, and there's such a, a picture of hope for us as followers of Jesus and for those of you who may be seeking Christ. Because there is redeeming love that is available to all of us. There's a phrase that we've been saying each week that I want to continue to put into your mind and into your heart. And that is that God is sovereign and God is good. Would you say that with me with some, with some umph this morning, okay? God is sovereign and God is good. Whether you know or not, I'm judging whether you do better than the second service, okay? So you need to just practice up and be ready. But if that phrase is true, that God is sovereign, which is a word that we don't always hear, but it means that God understands, He knows, He's in control, that there's nothing that's outside of His realm of authority and ability to work and do. If that is true, that God is sovereign and God is good, then that should bring us hope. Especially in times when we don't see the end of the tunnel. We can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. We feel like we're in the darkness and we're unsure of what's going to happen next. That if God is sovereign and God is good, that means we can trust Him even when we can't see everything that's going to happen. So I just want to take just a minute for those of you who may not have been with us over the last several weeks to very quickly review the last couple chapters. So there's some main characters in this story, there is a famine in the land of, uh, of Bethlehem where a family lives. There is a father, Elimelech, a mother, Naomi. Uh, Elimelech's name, uh, names in this story are very important. Elimelech's name means my God is king. His wife's name, Naomi, means sweetheart. They are in trouble. They decide we're going to move to a land that is, that is of our enemies. It's a bad plan. They move to Moab, and they are trying, Elimelech is trying to save his family. He has two sons, Malon and Kilion, whose names also mean something that you don't want to name your kids, your grandkids. They, name, they, they mean sickness and death, bad names, scratch those off. Biblical names are good, these are bad ones, okay? And then they make the move, and it's not, it's not long after they get there, the dad dies, so he leaves his wife and kids in a foreign land. Their two sons marry Moabite women. One's named Orpah, whose name means stiff neck, not, not, a, not one you would choose. Uh, the other one is Ruth, and Ruth is actually the center character of this story, and her name means, means refreshing. And so they live 10 years in the land, dad has died, and then the two sons die. Horrible plan. And Naomi, after 10 years, hears that God has restored her homeland of Bethlehem, and so they move back home. She wants to try to, if we can just be real honest, we want to, she wants to try to dump her responsibilities of these two uh, women who had married her sons, her daughter-in-laws, 
And so she blesses them and releases them. And Orpah says, I will stay. Ruth says, where you go, I will go. In fact, she chooses in that moment to not only follow after Naomi, but to follow after God and she's saved. So verse 16 and 17, which I hope you have been uh, memorizing and hiding in your heart. She says, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. And so she follows Naomi back home. Naomi gets home, and at the end of chapter 1, she changes the meaning of her name and her name to be called from sweetheart to essentially what we might say, bitter old hag. She's, she's torn up. She's this, she, she feels depressed and destroyed. Call me Mara. Do not call me Naomi. My spirit has changed. My body is home, but my spirit is still suffering. And so she has been backpacking this Moabite woman, Ruth, who's a constant reminder that my husband is dead, my two sons are dead, now I'm broke, desperate, beat up, and at the end of my wits. And on top of that, Ruth won't won't leave her, and she gives her this big passionate speech about how much I love you, and I love your God, and I'm just going to follow you to the grave. Wasn't what she was hoping for. In chapter 2, we talked about last week that Naomi allows Ruth to try to help provide for the family. And so they go on what we would call a welfare system to try to get some food and some, some uh, supplies to live. And there's a, there's a phrase in chapter 2 that we talked about last week that's a, kind of a Jewish joke. It says, as it turned out, we know that there are no chances in life. There's nothing that happens by accident that God directs our steps. And so there's a little joke in chapter 2. As it turned out, Ruth went into the field of a man named Boaz. Boaz is also going to be a center character in this story. And he, he is an important man. He's a man of character. He's a relative of Elimelech. We're going to talk more about what that truly means today. But he's a man of wealth and stature and respect. He's a good businessman. And he comes in and he wants to take care of her. He protects her. He provides for her. He blesses her. He prays for her. And he begins to say, not only do I want to be a blessing to you, but your family and so what I have is yours. My provision is to be blessed on your family. What God has blessed me with, I want to bless you with. He uses a phrase in chapter 2, verse 12, which is a priestly description of the covering of God. Not only God, how he, it's, it talks about the wings of God. And, and so there's this visual picture that they all had seen and known. And he said, may the wings of God protect you and let me be the earthly wings of God that protect you. And so that, that drops us in to chapter 3. Several weeks have passed, but the story continues. Look, look with me in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose women you were? uh, With whose women you were? And so, see, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now, some time has passed. Ruth and Boaz had had that moment of time where the story, if you're a person who loves love stories, this is the scene where the music begins to change, and maybe they lock eyes in the field. I'm not really sure, but 
Something's obviously going on. But for weeks, Ruth goes to work. She shows up every day. She works in the field. She's getting sweaty and dirty, and she, she has been in a desperate place, but now as a foreigner and, and, and with a mother-in-law who wants to be called the bitter old hag, she comes and tries to do the right thing. Boaz may, maybe thought that Ruth was out of his league, and so he's just going to love her and care for her. But there's a love story that's developing here. We don't know everything about Boaz. Obviously, he could have been older. He could have been um, uh, not the best-looking guy in town. He's single. Rich and single sometimes means you have a better chance. I don't know. I've never been good-looking or rich, so I couldn't tell you. But, But in this story... There's some things that are going on, and so Naomi is tired of waiting, and so she tries to step in and do what sometimes mothers and mother-in-laws do to try to help the romance. So normally there would be a father who arranges the marriage, but there's no father here. And so Naomi's going to try to take that role, and we're going to find out she actually gives some very bad advice. If you look in the verses we just read, Naomi says, hey, I want you to go clean up, wash up, Get as pretty as you can. Put on that Moab midnight perfume that you wear. And I want you to go and find Boaz. But if you look in verse 4, she gives some very risky advice. She says, "He go, go to where he is. Wait until he's gotten fed and essentially a little wine. And then go and find him. It's actually very, very bad advice. So Naomi, who's in a bad place, desperate, is giving Ruth some bad advice. Some believe that Naomi would have believed in uh, Boaz's character and that he would do the right thing. But others believe that Naomi was desperate in trying to lead Ruth to do whatever was necessary to save their family. Now, thankfully, Ruth has more character, in fact, than maybe her mother-in-law did. Look in verse 5. And it's, she replied, uh, all that you say I will do. So she's trying to be respectful to her mother-in-law, but, but look at what she does. Look at verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, and he went and lied down at the end of the heap of grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid down. And at midnight, the man was startled, and he turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Now, she gets, she gets ready. She gets cleaned up. She got pretty, as, as beautiful as she could be. We, we kind of believe that she is a, an attractive woman. She goes to the threshing room, which is a place where oftentimes prostitutes would come at the end of the day for the workers. And so she goes to a place that honestly is questionable, but the, the men would stay there to protect the grain, to protect the prophets. And they've been working late. They, they had some wine. They, they, uh, boys were, were doing things sometimes that they shouldn't be doing. But then at the, at, at the end of verse 8, Boaz is not doing anything wrong, but he wakes up and there is a woman laying at his feet. Now look at verse 9. Because thankfully, not only is Ruth going to do the right thing, but Boaz is going to do the right thing. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. He says, who are you? (laughs) Naomi's advice, wait and he will tell you what to do. 
There was a lot of risk in that. So if a man of the wrong character might, might have found uh, Ruth in this place, he might have done something that was improper. But m- most of us don't wake up with women laying at our feet, men. If you do, then you need to lock your house, right? I tell people, you're welcome to come over, but after a certain time, I may not meet you with a smile, right? I, I, I uh, have all kinds of things to protect my home, right? But he immediately speaks, and Ruth also speaks, and she says, would you place your garment over me? What she's really saying is, would you be willing to marry me? He, she is asking for what was offered in chapter 2, that not only would the wings of God be a protector, but would you be the wings of my protection? Would you be not only a spiritual leader in my life, but would you marry me? Because you are my redeemer. Actually, in the original language, this is a word that said, liver goel, which means kinsman redeemer. So what she was saying is that you are the one, that you're, you're one of the ones, we're going to find out there's a man in front of him, but that you are one of the ones who can redeem our family, that you can redeem our lives, that the, the role of the kinsman redeemer was a duty of a brother to take a wife who, who, whose husband had died and to pay the debts, to keep the family line going by producing a family, to be responsible for providing and protecting, to, to uh, keep shame from happening to those who were, were without help. But we, she's essentially saying, we need a redeemer. I need a redeemer. Naomi needs help. Look at verse 10. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. So he's saying, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for choosing me. I don't know about you, man, but I feel like I outpunted my coverage. I, I love my wife, but I sometimes wonder why she stays around with me. I am blessed that she chose to live all of her days with me. And that's essentially the language that he is using is, I don't know why you would choose me, but I am blessed. And I want to be a blessing to you. He, He uses a phrase, he calls her his daughter, not because he is a father, but because it's a it's a term of respect for her, trying to treat her with honor. And I'm so grateful that the story has turned this way, that two people that could have gotten caught in a situation where they could have done something improper, they have both decided to do the right thing. And so Boaz uses these priestly words, these words that follow after God, and he, he asks that, I, may I be a blessing to you, and may the Lord bless you with great kindness. He, he essentially says, I thought you were out of my league. I'm so blessed that you would want to be with me. Look at verse 11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and, I, and in the morning I will redeem you. Good, let him, if he will redeem you, good, then let him do it. But he, if he is not willing to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So lie down, lie down until the morning. So he essentially says there is a, there's a plan that we need to come together on, but I want you to know that I am impressed that you are a woman of character. And I want to be a man of character. 
And I want to be a man who follows the rules and follows the ways that God has set in place. And so there is another kinsman redeemer that is in front of me, but I will work it out because Boaz is a smart man and, and he's a good uh, strategist. And you're going to watch how he, he plays this because it's very interesting he says, I'll work it out, and yes, I will marry you, and I will take whatever cost or social risk or price that I have to pay. So don't go home now, because I want you to be safe. I want to not only protect you personally, but I want to protect your character. I want to save your dignity so that nothing improper might be said of you. So I want to keep you safe. Now look at verse 14. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose one before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment that you're wearing and hold it out. And she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And she went into the city and she came to her mother-in-law and said, how did you fare my daughter? And she told her all the man had done for her saying, these six measures of barley he gave for me. And he said to me, you must not go back empty handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, and the man will not rest until he settles the matter today. Now, I just want you to understand that this is, this is a powerful moment, because they've both done the right thing. They've both been people of character. And so Boaz says, I will take care of you. I will take care of your family. Next week, we're going to see how all this shakes down. But he, he wants to also even take care of the bitter old hag that's at home, right? The mother-in-law who is depressed and angry and frustrated. And so he goes to Naomi and, and he sends Ruth home to Naomi with not only a gift, but with a message of hope. So Naomi put Ruth in a place that could have turned out very poorly. She gave her some very bad advice. But Ruth kept her character intact. Can I just remind us that we don't have to follow bad advice? That you don't have to give into temptation as we talked earlier that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough to help us walk away, run away. I love how the Apostle Paul talked to Timothy when he said, when you face temptation, don't walk away, but run. <laughs> for some of us, for many of us, we need to learn how to do that more often, because when that moment comes, we need to be ready. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, let me just tell you, this passage that I just read is often misquoted. What sometimes people will say is that God will never give me more than I can handle. That's not what this passage says. What this passage says is that under the authority and power and sovereignty of God, that we will never have more than God can help us bear. So you are not enough. I am not enough. In fact, God will always give us more than we can handle on our own. But with God's power, there is always enough power to overcome sin. So don't be fooled. You are not strong enough. I am not strong enough. And so when we face temptation, when we're in a place where maybe even other people have placed us in a, in a risky situation, 
We need God's help. First John chapter 4, verse 4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so we need God. But Ruth didn't wait for there to be a misunderstanding about why she was there. She wanted to do the right thing. Boaz remained a man of character even when there had been a moment of weakness. You see, they could have done anything in the dark and nobody would have known. But both of them decided that we're going to be the same person in the light and in the darkness. Ruth trusted God for her protection. Boaz kept his faith intact. And so I want to give you three things this morning that I think that we can walk away from this passage with to live better lives for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Number one is this, that we need to seek good advice. Seek good advice. Now, let me clarify. Good advice is godly advice. I got a lot of people that think they give good advice, and they do not give good advice because it's not of God. So we need to be very careful that if we're going to take advice from others, that it comes from the root of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior, that we're seeking out advice from people who are walking with the Lord, that we're seeking advice from those who are in not only regular uh, connection with God, but they're in a good place in their life. So there's a lot of people who will give you advice, but not all of it's good. My guess is that most of us in this room have opinions about just about anything you want to know. But that doesn't mean that our opinions are always good and always right. We need to filter them through God's Word and through our relationship. Let the Holy Spirit guide us. Naomi did not specifically say, Ruth, go sleep with Boaz so that you can save our family. But she sure insinuated it. She didn't tell her to cross the line, but she sure said to dance on it. She, she did not tell her to do the wrong thing, but she sure put her in a place where that could have happened. You see, your integrity is shown when you think that no one is looking, because God knows. God knows who we are. God knows our heart. Your life may be plagued by bad advice, and so I just want to encourage you that good advice comes from godly counsel. So wherever you are in your walk with Jesus Christ, my, my personal belief is that we all need accountability. We all need people in our lives who can speak into our lives because I can't trust me. You can't trust you. We can't trust our heart. We will convince ourselves that our sin is not nearly as bad as anybody else. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Dave Ramsey. He's a financial counselor. I love listening to Dave Ramsey because those people who are on that radio show, on that podcast, man, they make really bad mistakes with their money and make me feel really smart. So I, I, if I'm not careful, I will tell myself, well, you know, my sin is not nearly as bad as theirs. But let me tell you something. Your comparison is not me or your neighbor or your friend. Our standard is God's word and what Jesus has called us to. So we need to make sure that we're using the right measurement, the right ruler to measure up our lives. So you need people. You need a Sunday school class. You need a small group. You need an accountability group. You need a church. You need to study your Bible. You need to pray. You need to ask questions. Because that's how we grow in our walk with Jesus. So seek good advice. Secondly, keep the faith. Here's what I know. Your faith will be tested when you feel like the end is in sight. When you think go, things are going good, you need to be reminded that, the, that Satan is like a roaring lion trying to destroy you. <laughs> 
He wants to take you out. In fact, the more that you want to be like Jesus, the more you actually open yourself up for attack from the devil. Because God wants us to do great things and Satan wants to destroy our lives. So he wants to tear your marriage apart. He wants to tear your family apart. He wants to destroy your, your kids. He wants to destroy the good things in your life. Am I surprised at what uh, Pastor Bill said this morning about so many people who have so many burdens? I'm not surprised. And I'll tell you, let me, let me just say personally, thank you for being honest. Thank you for putting those things down on a car. I know for some of you, that was huge. In fact, some of you may have had a panic moment when Pastor Bill said, I'm going to read some of these. Well, he's not going to expose your... Your, your, your troubles and your burdens. But isn't it good to be in a place where we can pray for one another? We need one another. And what I, what I hope we can do is that we can lower the expectation that I'm okay and, and just be honest and say it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to have a burden. It's okay to express to those that you love and trust that, that my, my child is not where they should be. I'm worried about my grandchild. I, I'm worried about my neighbor, my friend. I'm worried about this in my life. I, I am without work. I, I am in a place where I need Jesus to show up. Listen, if you can't understand that this is the place that you can share that, then can I just encourage you that this is the place that it fits the most? So I, I'm grateful for you, and, and I know I've been praying for many of you, and, and your staff's been praying for you, and I hope you're praying for one another. We have to not only seek godly advice, but we have to keep the faith, because faith steps always pay off big. We, we grow in our faith so that when we hit trials, that we have the muscle to power through through the power of God. We need His strength. So we have to follow through and, and not just stop halfway. So we need to be men and women who keep the faith. Thirdly, we need to be willing to accept redemption. Now, I know what it's like to be from Texas. We like to take care of our own stuff. We're taught to be self-sufficient and we're taught to, to not ask for help. That you take care of business and, and you be strong and you push through. So sometimes it's really hard for us to ask for help and to receive help. But let me just tell you something. You're not strong enough. You don't have enough to, to do the battle on your own. And so we need to be willing to accept the provision and the blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ that he wants to put on us. So sometimes we, we have to put our faith in people whom you will never be able to repay. There's going to be people and, and situations in your life that things are going to happen where you just can't even repay what they have done for you. There are debts that are larger than you can comprehend. There are situations that you just can't fix on your own. The story of Ruth is one of those. She needed a redeemer. I don't know if you've ever been desperate enough where you looked around and there just seemed to be absolutely no hope. Ruth and Naomi were in that place. If, if there was not a Redeemer that came in and helped them, they were without hope. 
And if you've ever been in that place, if you've ever been in that situation where you felt like if if something doesn't happen supernatural, if there's not somebody who comes to help, if there's not a group or a church or something that comes alongside, I'm not sure we're going to make it. For Ruth and Naomi, Boaz was that kinsman redeemer. He was not only going to take care of Ruth and Naomi, but he was going to be a blessing to them for the rest of their lives. And and the power of this story is it doesn't just stop here in this Old Testament book, but it actually leads to the lineage of David, which leads to the cross of Jesus Christ, which if we can be really honest, leads to the grace and salvation that we are blessed with personally. So this story is not just about Ruth and Naomi, it's about you and me. So when Ruth is rescued, then we're rescued. Because this is the line that God uses in his amazing plan. In his sovereignty, he begins to work a plan that leads to Brownwood, Texas in 2021 for you and for me. Because God not only wanted to be send a redeemer for Ruth and Naomi, but he wants to send a redeemer for you. And he did that in Jesus Christ. He sent his one and only son to the cross for you and for me. It's not because we have earned it. It's not because we were born in the right place to the right family that we've done all these good deeds that have gotten the attention of God. In fact, if you want to know what gets the attention of God, unfortunately, it is our sin that separates us from him. And in his compassion, he rescues us. So if you're here this morning and you don't, you've never been rescued by the Redeemer, Jesus. Can I tell you, there is no greater peace that will come to your heart than knowing who your Heavenly Father truly is. Who Jesus is as your Savior. And so if you're here this morning, may this story just wash through your life and you understand that that's what I need is I need a redeemer to rescue me from a situation that I cannot redeem on my own. I cannot forgive my sin. I cannot wash myself white as snow. I cannot forgive what I have done. Only Jesus can do that for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Coggin Church podcast. We exist to make disciples by leading people to connect with God, with others, through service to the world. For more information about Coggin, visit us at www.cogginchurch.org.